Today on Blue 58, after another convincing win, the Packers are 2-0 and should be feeling really good. That's it. That's the whole intro. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here after another Packers win. And what a win it was, 42-21, beating the Detroit Lions at Lambeau Field. The Packers not only won convincingly, but they proved me wrong. And I like being wrong, because when you're wrong, it's easier to learn things. So I predicted in the preview podcast that this was going to be a shootout. The Packers got the memo, the Lions did not. The Packers weathered an early storm and churned their way to another big win. What did we learn? What did we learn from being wrong? We meaning me, specifically. If, if I thought the Packers' defense was vulnerable enough that this was going to be a shootout, what did we learn here? Well, first we learned that the Packers are pretty good. They're, they're consistent on offense, at least through two weeks, and that's 12.5% of a NFL regular season, so that's enough to call it at least a little bit of a trend. There are also some things worth working on. Uh, weathering an early storm, not letting that early storm happen maybe, just not getting rocked back on your heels as a defense right away. But thirdly, I think most importantly, when things are right, the Packers are going to be able to hang with anyone. Things have gone really well here for the first two weeks. This is not naysaying. This is not saying, well, wait and see if things start to go badly. No, this is unqualified. This is things have gone really well for the Packers. There may be things that they can work on, but this is about as good as things could have gone for the first two weeks. Even the injuries, which are concerning on the offensive line, are not all that bad. You lose Lane Taylor for the season. That's bad. My feelings on Lane Taylor, I think, are pretty well articulated at this point. I like him a lot. But other than that, there isn't a lot that should derail the Packers long term. Billy Turner's getting healthier. It looks like they have a lot of depth. The defense hasn't been 100%. I think that's fair to say. Uh, Even just today, they weren't 100%, and it turned out to be a pretty good effort. But they've also shown that when things are going right, their strategy can work. The Packers are a good team. They're playing like a good team right now. They're hammering teams that they should hammer. And as a result, they've started 2-0. Let's talk about some of the good things from today. Starting on offense, just as a whole, I think you have to be really confident and happy about how the Packers performed on offense. They were consistent throughout the game. They scored in every quarter. They scored a touchdown on th- in three of four quarters. And it may mean different things to you or be worth different things to you, but I think they were pretty balanced as far as the meaningful parts of this game go. The Packers had 33 dropbacks today, 30 throws by Rodgers, one sack and two scrambles. They had 26 runs in times that matter. So they ended up having 35 attempts as a team. But you take out five garbage time carries from A.J. Dillon, you take out two nail downs, and you take out those two scrambles, it's a, it's a pretty darn good effort for the Packers. That's, that's pretty balanced. I think it's a little bit more than 55% throwing. Maybe you like to see it a touch closer to 60 than that. But honestly, not a lot to complain about as far as the, the play selection today think it was really good. I think you have to feel really good about the offensive effort. The, at least the, the decisions that were being made seems to be seem to be pretty good. There were some drops in there, and we'll talk about those in a little bit. But top to bottom, the offensive performance seemed pretty good. 
A lot of that is because of Aaron Jones, and he's the second really good thing I want to talk about today. Just about the best Aaron Jones game that you could imagine. Big plays in the run and in the pass, running wide receiver style routes in the passing game, which is a big change for him. He ended up split out wide at times last year. This time he's actually running routes down the field, real wheel routes, go routes, and that productivity cannot be beat. This is only the fourth time in Packers history that a player has had more than 200 all-purpose yards and three or more touchdowns. Just the second time in Packers history a player has had more than 200 yards from scrimmage and three or more touchdowns. The first time it's happened since Javon Walker did it in 2004. You may remember that track meet style game against the Colts in Indianapolis in 2004. Packers ended up losing that game in part because Javon Walker fumbled late, but a good effort uh, at least in, in parts of the game there from Javon Walker, Aaron Jones matched and then exceeded that output. Three touchdowns, 268 all-purpose yards, an elite performance from a very, very good players. Then the defense. Yao was rough early, but then they figured it out and they closed really, really strong. So the Lions did really well on their first two drives. That took up all of their possessions in the first quarter. But then in the second and third quarters, the Lions had six drives. Here's how those drives went. Punt, punt, missed field goal. Punt, interception, punt. And after that point, it was 34-14. to 14. Say goodnight, Detroit, because it's over. This is how it's supposed to work for the Packers' defense. This is complimentary football. So the Packers' offense does their job. They keep scoring points and putting pressure on the Lions' offense. That makes the Lions one-dimensional. They want to try to catch up with the pass. The Packers then destroy them with the pass rush and their athleticism. They can get all their defensive backs on the field. You can have your athletic pass rushers up front. And who is the most athletic of those pass rushers? Well, it is Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary had one and a half sacks today. And for all the the fans out there that I see in the Facebook comments on, on every article about Rashawn Gary... It's nice to have some of the counting stats. Mike Smith, the Packers outside linebackers coach, loves to rant about pressure rate. Well, his pressure rate coming into this game was really good, but nobody, no casual watcher of the game cares about that. They want to see the raw stats. Now he has some raw numbers to go with it. And his pressure is what caused Chandon Sullivan's pick six. He's doing a great job up front. He's getting after the passer and it's given the Packers another dynamic pass rusher to go with Zadarius Smith because Preston Smith honestly has been a bit of a ghost so far. Three bad things, though, that came out of today. First, that first wave. I want to do some kind of study on this, and I haven't quite figured out how to do it yet, but it may just be as simple as looking at, at the points given up by quarter in the Mike Pettin era. We're 34 regular season games into this, into this Mike Pettin defensive coordinator experiment right now. And pretty consistently, the Packers are getting gouged early in the game. The Packers didn't just get gouged early on here. The Lions just did whatever they wanted. As just one small example of that, take this stat. The Lions ran 13 plays on their second scoring drive. Of those 13 plays, They were only ever more than six yards from the sticks, six yards from a first down, on a second or third down, three times. 
That meant that means on first down, they were getting enough yards that they were immediately in second and short every single time. They did ultimately lock the Lions down, the Packers defense, but it puts so much pressure on your offense when you dig yourself that much of a hole. To that matter, it puts, to that point, I guess, it puts so much pressure on your defense too because you got to be pretty much perfect from that point out if your offense isn't going to go out and roll up 42 points, or I guess 34 points technically because they, they did have the, the pick six, 35 points, whatever by Chandon Sullivan. But you understand what I'm trying to say here. You can't count on your offense scoring 30-plus every week uh, if you're going to go out and give up that many points early on. And against teams like the Saints, I don't know if you can count on locking it down after the first quarter. Back on offense, I'm a little bit concerned about the drops. Marquez Valdez-Scantling had a couple bad ones again. Jay Sternberger had a couple real bad ones. Rob Tanyan had at least one. Alan Lazard had at least one. It's it's a concerning trend here. Were it not for those drops, the Packers could have had 50 again. Like we were talking about last week, they should have had 50 plus. And I know that sounds a little bit like complaining that your steak has been cooked to 150 degrees internal temperature instead of 145, that perfect medium rare. Maybe it's 135, I don't know. I'm a podcaster, not a chef, but I think you understand what I'm saying. It's not like we're just, this is not nitpicking. In a game that wasn't a 42-21 blowout, those could be devastating. Think about Jay Sternberger dropping a pass in the red zone. Think about Marquez Valdez-Scantling dropping a pass in the end zone. Then think how the large plays like that loom in a situation like a playoff game, a tight playoff game. Think how often we've circled back to the NFC Championship game from the 2014 season and had that, well, what if this went differently? Well, what if that went differently? What if just these two plays were slightly different discussion? These are those kinds of plays. And were it not for the Packers blowing the lines out of the water, they would have looked a lot different. And this is the sort of thing that will kill you later in the season. Hopefully it's something they can get cleaned up. Also, not to beat a very dead horse here, but this is exactly why people wanted the Packers to upgrade their pass-catching core. The Packers only carried four wide receivers into this game. With Devontae Adams hurt and Valdez Scantling dropping passes left and right, That leaves you with Alan Lazard and Malik Taylor as your only other wide receivers. That's a pretty shallow talent pool, no matter what you think of Alan Lazard. You can think Alan Lazard is the greatest number two receiver in the league. And that's still not a lot to turn to. Even if you like the receivers you got, it never hurts to add talent to positions where you need a lot of bodies. Even if you are very confident in the Packers' top three receivers, there's not a lot beyond that. And if one or two of them has an off game, suddenly it's looking real thin. Finally, it's a little bit concerning where the injuries are happening for the Packers. The Packers have built 
their offensive line and their skill position groups are on guys that can do a lot of different things. And when a couple of those guys are hurt, it starts having some cascading issues. So Josiah Dakara is hurt. That hurts you at fullback and tight end. That means that Jay Sternberg has to play more reps as a fullback and a tight end. Tyler Irvin is a backup running back, a slot wide receiver, and a punt returner. Suddenly, if he gets hurt, you don't have as much speed at running back when Aaron Jones is out. You don't have a slot guy to run jet sweeps with, and you don't have a punt returner. You get Josh Jackson out there returning punts. Billy Turner, a guard and a tackle, is hurt, weakening two positions. What happens if Rick Wagner gets hurt today? What happens if Rick Wagner and Corey Lindsley are hurt today? So Rick Wagner gets hurt. Okay. You move Alton Jenkins from left guard to right tackle. And you move Lucas Pactert from right guard to left guard. And you put John Running in at right guard or do whatever you do there. But then Corey Lindsley's hurt. So you have to move Patrick out of the guard spot. And suddenly you're back to hurt Billy Turner playing guard again. Then maybe do you move Jenkins back inside and put Yash Nyman outside? You see, when you're counting on guys playing multiple spots, that gets to be a little bit of a problem. This is not something that's unique to the Packers, but it is something to keep an eye on. How does the Packers' offensive philosophy change when they don't have every guy doing exactly what they want on offense? So that's something we talked about extensively last week. A lot of why the Packers clicked so well against the Vikings is because they had every guy playing exactly the role they want him to play. What happens when he can't do that? that? That's just, I don't have an answer there. That's a hypothetical question for right now, but it's something the Packers will have to look at. So this is not necessarily a bad thing that the Packers did, but it's something that we should be watching going forward. One last, I guess maybe this isn't a bad thing, but just kind of a head scratcher. So Tyler Irvin's hurt, right? Um, the Packers are well out ahead, but we still haven't seen A.J. Dillon yet. And we don't see A.J. Dillon until very late in the game. Dillon carried the ball five times. I think he got 17 yards. One of them was a, a carry for 12 yards on, I think, third and 11. Pretty darn good run. But overall, all you're sending him out to do is slam his head into a loaded box because the Lions know that a run is coming. Everybody in the stadium, well, I guess that's just the Lions, right? Everybody in the stadium, everybody watching the game know exa- knows exactly what's coming. You know it's going to be a run because there's no diversity there. There's no setup there. The Packers aren't going to run anything wacky when they're just trying to run the clock out. And I don't know. I, I can't exactly articulate why, but it does bother me that Dylan got used that way today. That doesn't seem like a very good use of your second round pick if you're just going to put him in 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 garbage time and just let him run when he has no chance of success at all. That's what a guy like Dexter Williams is for, isn't it? Like, I know he's not on the active roster, but it's just for instance, why, why bother at that point? Why, why run him at all? You're not, you're not learning anything about AJ Dillon. Just run into this eight man box. Have fun. I don't know. Small annoyance there. What does this mean? Swerve things back to the positive here. Ultimately, it just comes down to this. The Packers are 2-0. and They're going to be heading into their week five bye at no worse than 500. And they're on the top 
of the NFC North with the Bears somehow. How did that happen? Who knows? This is another great step in my philosophy of getting the cheapies now, getting the wins now while you can, and when things tighten up later, you've got some breathing room. It's a good good place for the Packers to be and a really, really good start to the season. What happens next, though? The New Orleans Saints are coming marching in. Primetime game at Lambeau Field. I'm ready for some primetime action. Had two noon kicks like the noon kicks. Ready for a change of pace. Ready to put the kid to bed. Grab a bowl of ice cream on Sunday nights. That's their tradition in these parts. Got one waiting for me upstairs right now, as a matter of fact. Theoretically, it's not melting while we're doing this. Um, But I'm ready for that. Ready for a little that. Ready for some primetime football. And I'm ready for a chance to see what the Packers look like against somebody perceived as a, a very, very good team. Let's have some notebook clearing actions. So Chandon Sullivan gets a pick six here. This is the first interception return the Packers have had for a touchdown since Bashad Breland did it late in the 2018 season. That was the first and last win of the Joe Philbin era. Long may he reign. Marquez Valdez-Scantling had an up-and-down game again, uh, but his first catch was, I thought, just a gorgeous play design. So he is one of three receivers bunched to the right side of this formation. It's the Packers' first drive. He is the outside receiver in this one, and he is off the line. So you've got Robert Tanyan inside in the bunch. He is off the line, and Alan Lazard on the line. Valdez Scantling circles behind those other two guys as they drive hard up the field and then just crosses right across the field, runs away from the defense. Aaron Rodgers hits him in stride. You don't have to be a brilliant football player to run that play. You don't have to be even exceptionally fast. But it was just a beautiful design, and uh, and MVS did exactly what he was supposed to. That's what the Packers need from him. And then, of course, he makes the, the toe-tapper catch down the sideline later. Another great play, uh, showing why he's out on the field. But, hey, uh, got to make the easy ones, too. And at least on that play, he did. Early on in the game, I loved the Packers' decision to go for it on their first drive on fourth down. It was an aggressive play. I like the aggression. Also played to the game situation uh, because the Packers were headed into the end zone where the wind was really swirling. That was the the end of the field where uh, Prater missed a long field goal attempt heading into heading into halftime for the Lions. So it was smart uh, using your personnel well, and they didn't do the thing that I hate most of all: uh, run down the clock, take a delay of game penalty, and set yourself up for an easier punt. I I just want every coach that does that to have to say out loud. I was trying to get in a better position for a punt, which is just, it's almost gag-inducing to say it. I was trying, yeah, just trying to really set myself up for a better punt here, which is just mind-boggling. But the Packers didn't do that. They went for it on fourth down, and, uh, and they picked it up. They ultimately got three points out of that drive. Pretty happy with that. After sitting with it for two weeks, I think I'm anti-piped-in crowd noise. For some reason, and this just may have been my TV or where I was listening to it, it sounded like boos for most of the plays today, or, or a lot of boos. I, I wish I could hear more of what players thought about it on the field. I've heard some, some mixed reviews. I would like to hear, just for comparison, 
what it would be like to play a game with no crowd noise at all. Just as an experiment. We're probably never going to get a chance to do this again. What would it sound like with just nothing at all out there on the field? Would really love to hear what the what that game sounds like. I, I don't think I like the, the piped-in crowd noise. I would say I'm moderately concerned after two weeks about Darnell Savage. I like a lot of the idea of Darnell Savage. Very athletic safety in the back end. Uh, can cover up a lot of other people's mistakes with his speed. Unfortunately, it hasn't really worked out that way so far. And it, it looks like he's making a lot of rookie mistakes here in year two. A lot of bad angles. A lot of uh, delayed reactions to the ball. A uh, couple plays that the Lions running mostly runs to the outside, it seems like, that went from being, I don't know, say seven-yard gains to 15-yard gains just because he took a bad angle on the ball carrier. Just just little things like that, stuff that he should have cleared up by now. That's that's frustrating to see, and I would say it's becoming a, a, a trend that is not headed in the right direction. On the flip side of that, Rob Tanyan's uh, touchdown catch was just absolutely awesome. He fakes hard to the corner route and then just stops, turns around, and jumps. And he it looked like he was jumping before he even knew for sure that the ball was coming. Just great trust play between him and Rodgers. This is what Jimmy Graham was supposed to be good at doing, but he can't jump anymore. He couldn't jump at any point when he was in Green Bay. Tanyan can, and he did, and he went up and got the ball, it's a great touchdown. Probably shouldn't point at the defender that you just beat and then spike the ball. Kind of seems like you might be asking for a taunting penalty there. But hey, I've never scored a touchdown in the NFL, so I don't know how I would react. Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur got heated a couple times in the sidelines. And I think at least one of those times, Aaron Rodgers was right. In the second half, the Packers are facing a third and 10. I believe they're in the red zone. Play clock's winding down, but Rodgers snaps the ball just before the play clock expires. The play is blown dead because there's a timeout that came in from the sideline. It had already come in, or by the time it got to the field, Rodgers had already completed a pass to Rob Tanyan running a, a neat little seam route, and it looked like he probably would have converted the uh, the third down there. That's frustrating because... Rodgers is supposed to be doing this check with me stuff with Lafleur, assessing things at the line of scrimmage, looking for audibles, looking for instruction from the sideline. But at some point, you just got to let him take over. That seemed a little too hands-on for Lafleur there. And ultimately, even if the play clock runs out there and you get a delay of game penalty, I don't think going from third and 10 to third and 15 changes much for you there. Just let him work and let's see, let him see what happens. Trust Aaron Rodgers. That doesn't seem like the worst idea in the world. We'll end on a positive here. The best, maybe not best, but the dumbest play of the game that made me laugh the most, the Packers scoring drive right near the end of the first half. First and 10, they've just converted their second big play in a row on a penalty. They had a personal foul and then another personal foul, back-to-back personal fouls. What do they run on a first and 10 as they're approaching the end zone? A draw play, of course, as everyone guessed, or as everyone would have suspected. What do you do on first and 10 when you're driving late and you've got no timeouts? You run a draw play right up the middle and Jamal Williams gets a big gain. I actually laughed out loud because you could just, in hindsight, you can see Matt LaFleur telling himself, this is totally going to work. They're never going to suspect it. And it did. 
the Packers got a big gain there. It made me laugh. It was just kind of one of those dumb plays that it's like, you can stack up all the analytics in the world. You can do all of the strategy and, and all those things, but it's just one of those plays that it's like, this is a dumb game played by smart people who are paid a lot of money to try to make each other look stupid. And sometimes you just do a dumb thing, maybe not even a dumb thing. You do a, a non-traditional, unconventional, just thing kind of out of nowhere, and it works. And that's what a big reason I like following football. Because, hey, stuff like that. This is a weird sport. This is a weird season. Weird things happen, and weird things should be celebrated. So I've got for you in this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you're excited about your 2-0 Green Bay Packers because they have a big test ahead. The New Orleans Saints up next week. But for right now, bask in the glory of another Packers win and enjoy it. We'll be back with you on Wednesday for uh, an in-depth look on a couple things related to the Packers, uh, maybe their defense in particular. Send your questions along if you have them. Reach out wherever you can find us on social media, email, Facebook. Uh, It's still... You know, encouraging people to stand outside their houses and yell, see if they can get in touch with me that way. Hasn't worked yet, but you never know. Try stuff, see what happens. So I've got for you again. Um, thank you for listening in. If this this show meant something to you, if you thought somebody else would like it, go ahead and share it because that's going to help us grow this conversation we're having around the Packers and ultimately help everybody become smarter Packers fans. We hope because we think smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.